For those of you that are uh, uh, visiting, I want to catch you to speed. And, and uh, those of you who are here every week, we're going to be repetitious here. We're in the middle of a four-month series talking about the vision here at Bridgewood and that God wants to build in us a discipleship culture. That's what he wants. He wants to build into us a discipleship culture. And we believe that's fleshed out in four key ways. When we look at Scripture, we believe that four key things are extremely important for building a discipleship culture. Now, let me say this. There are other things in addition to this, but these are the big four. And one is this, intentional discipleship, right? Intentional relationship of equipping people to live with Christ Jesus, not just for Christ Jesus, but with Jesus. That is our call. It is a non-negotiable in Scripture. Jesus says, go and make what? Disciples of all nations. So that is a non-negotiable. Second is prayer. Conscious connection with God's presence. And that's fleshed out in different ways. The Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Does, Does that exhaust anyone to think about? Right? Pray without stopping. Whoa. And if you, if you interpret that passage, that command, with your own understanding or stereotype of prayer, it is exhausting. Now, I've been mentored by someone since I was six, year old, six years old. There was always someone. And one of the first guys that really discipled me had this prayer life where he would take every prayer request that he would get and he would save it in this box, and he would pray for it every day until they were answered. And he would have to wake up at 4 a.m. to do so, and it would take him till like 10 a.m. to do so. Wow. Six hours of that kind of prayer. I don't even like thinking about waking up at 4 a.m., let alone waking up and then praying for six hours, right? And so that can be a challenging thing when we interpret prayer as the task, instead of understanding what the heart is behind it. And so um, then, we have, then we have mission, going wherever God leads. Simply that. Where he calls, we what? Go. And then we have community, Christian community, learning to share life together in the name of Jesus. It's different than just doing life. Have you heard that phrase? Do life together. I can do life with someone I don't like, and I can get through it. But I'm not necessarily going to share my life with that person. Now, some may may say that's semantics, but to me, there's a difference. Can you see the difference? Doing life, sharing life. We want to share life together. We want to have an authentic atmosphere here where we can share openly in the safety of Christ Jesus so that we can receive healing where there's healing, and we can continue to move and walk with Jesus. And so today we're in our last week of prayer. And now let me, let me state this because this is really important. These last four months were not about the task, but the posture of these four values that we have. Okay? The tasks come later, but if we don't understand the heart, if we don't understand the posture that we have to have to engage these values then it just becomes empty actions. And so, as we talk about prayer today, let's recap a little bit on what the last three weeks were like. The first week, 
we talked about how do we posture ourselves in prayer. Well, there is a fundamental need that we have for Jesus. Right? We all need him, right? If, if, if we didn't, we could breathe on our own, we could live on our own, we could create things without his involvement, okay? But we know we need him. Yes, we need him for salvation. We need him for all these things. And that's great. And that's huge. When you look in scripture, what you see is that God designed us for a relationship. And I don't think I've ever been in a satisfying relationship where I was just needed. I don't want to be just needed. I want to be wanted. Right? I mean, imagine you're getting married and someone just says, I just, I need you. I need you in my life, I need you to perform some function in my life. Well, that's great, but I want to be wanted. You know, I want you to want me. (laughs) Right? And so, yes, God knows that we need him, but he wants us to want him. It's a choice we have. Not just what he gives us, but simply for who he is. And who he is is enough to want, let me tell you. He's a wonderful God. And then the second week, Mark talked about how God is accessible. Ask, seek, knock. He's accessible. There's nothing too big or too small that he doesn't care about because he cares about you. He loves you. And so we can come to him in prayer with anything, anytime, place. We have that accessibility. And then last week, Sharon did a beautiful job at, at, at making sure that we understand he's here. He's here, and being able to discern where he is. And we did a a great exercise just to practice. And do you remember hearing that word last week? Practice. Practice identifying, well, he's here, but sometimes it's hard for us to identify that he's here. So we need to continue to practice identifying where he is so that we can continue to walk with him. So as we approach today, I was thinking about the past three weeks, And none of these things can happen. None of these things can happen if we don't trust him. No, we know this, right? Especially as Christians, we know that we need to trust him. But it's another thing to allow that reality to be active in our lives. Because if you don't trust God, why would you want to be with him? Why would you want him? If If you can't trust him... Why would you go to him for anything? Why would you care about him being accessible? If you don't trust him, why would you care where he is so that you can connect with his accessibility? If you don't trust him, what's the point? I've been uh, hooked on this show called um, Storm Surfers, and I grew up surfing most of my life. And this show follows two pro surfers that are in their 50s, guys that still got it, and they think they're teenagers. And they go, and they, they literally chase storms. And they have a guy named Ben who is their personal meteorologist. And so he designs all this software. He designs all this software to locate these storms, and these guys is what they do for a living because they're sponsored by every company you can think of because they're great surfers. And they go all over the world to chase these giant waves. Now, some of you are probably thinking that's ridiculous. 
For some it is. For some, like me, I wish I could do that, but I'd be terrified. Imagine, okay, this is about 25 feet. Imagine laying down and looking up at that wall, and that's water with tons and tons and tons, literally, of pressure, okay, pushing you, and sometimes if you wipe out, pushing you underwater. So these two guys, they have to trust each other. Because they are going in hostile environments. And some of these places they go to are 45 miles out in the middle of the ocean. And on average, if they wipe out, they get held down for 30 seconds up to a minute and a half. Now, I can't even hold my breath for a minute in a pool that's not moving and I can get up, you know, for air anytime I want. Now imagine your adrenaline's going, you're riding down a wave that big, and you get pushed underwater into the depths And most of these places are shark-infested, which just ups the ante, right? And you're down there for almost over a minute. You don't get a chance to take a deep breath, you know, because it it comes out of nowhere. It's insane. Well, they can't paddle into these waves because they're too big, they're too fast. So they got what's called toe surfing. So they, they, it's kind of like water skiing with a jet ski. So you've got one guy driving the jet ski and the other is on his surfboard and he drags them into the wave. So the guy... The jet ski guy is responsible for picking out a wave and putting the guy in the right place at the right time. So you have to have a sense of trust and good communication. Because if that doesn't happen in this environment, you're dead. Literally, you're dead. And so to make things worse is if you wipe out, that guy in that jet ski has to come and get you. Because guess what's coming up behind you when you get to surface? Another 25-foot wave. So the trust level, they have to trust each other because it's life or death. If one of them makes a wrong move or this or that, you're in trouble. And these guys, you're watching these guys and they tell you about all these close calls and you guys, you guys are insane. Those are unnecessary risks. But it's what they're passionate about and trust is the key to the whole thing. How much more for us than Christ Jesus? Trust is what we need. And so the question is, is Jesus trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? And I want to make a case today that yes, he is. Yes, he is. Now, a lot of times we focus on the divinity of Christ and and ignore the humanity. But he came fully human, fully divine. But oftentimes, more than not, we focus on the divinity, do we not? And what we don't understand is that he took every suffering, every suffering, experienced it so that he could be the appropriate atonement for us. And we're going we're gonna to look at this in a minute in Hebrews chapter 2. But every temptation was suffering for him. Every single one. We focus on the suffering of the cross, but we forget that he had to experience Every kind of temptation that we would experience, he had to go through. And guess what? He did not fold. He did not succumb to that temptation. But isn't temptation painful? Yeah. And when you give in to temptation, you feel the immediate relief because you've satisfied some urge. But then guess what happens a few minutes later? Shame, guilt, And then you begin to isolate yourself, and then the pain's even worse than just the temptation. 
But Jesus experienced all that so we would not have to, so that death would not have us. That, to me, is trustworthy. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 10. And I want to encourage you to continue to bring your Bibles every week, whether it's on a phone, iPad, the hard copy. Um, Make sure you have them. It's not up today because I want you to just listen. And if you want to look along and you have your Bibles, great. But I want you to listen. I want you to picture this. And we could be in this passage for a long, long time. But there's just some key things I want to I pick out. So starting in verse 10. If you need to close your eyes to visualize, you can do that as well. But hear this. And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. Is what? His trust. I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am. The children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And here we go, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now that's, that's a huge chunk of scripture, and we could go a long ways on that. But this is to illustrate. Jesus didn't have to. He came out of relationship, his love for us, fully human, fully divine. He came fully human, fully divine, suffered so that we would no longer have to. He did not break. Everyone tempted him around him. Satan The Pharisees, the Sadducees, even at times his own disciples, they tested him. They went after him. And he did not fold. He was consistent. He was intentional. Always with the will of the Father in his mind. And he suffered all of that so that we would not have to. Is that trustworthy? Yeah, that's trustworthy. I can't think of a lot of people in my life that would do that. That's trustworthy. And when we talk about prayer, we have to trust him. Prayer comes in many different ways, but prayer is ultimately connecting with God, consciously connecting with him, and it comes in the form most times and not with dialoguing with him. It's the way we dialogue, the way we hear from him, the way we talk to him. And it's challenging Because um, 
there are a lot of things that we want and this and that, and when we don't get what we want, when we want it, when we ask the Lord, it really tests our perseverance and our trust in Him, does it not? We have to trust Him as we live a life of prayer. As we become a house of prayer for all nations, we have to trust Him, be with Him, go where He goes, commune with Him. If not, we're sunk in the water. In just a minute, I want to bring up Tom Wold, who's got a wonderful testimony about this. Remember, God is here. He hears us. He listens to us. And we can trust him for that. So if we want to live a life of prayer, if we really want that to be second nature to us, we trust. So Tom, I want to invite you up. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to share today an experience I had last March, and I feel the Lord wants me to share it too. It was an experience that started out horribly, and God used this experience to demonstrate to me His almighty power and His concern for me and the fact that He's always listening to us when we come to Him in prayer. I was uh, walking out of a supermarket and crossing to the parking lot, and uh, SUV slowly pulled up to me. It was, looked like you know it was letting me go first, and something went wrong, and the operator uh, hit the the accelerator pedal all the way to the floor, and uh, hit me hard and threw me a long way. And when I came down, I came down hard, but my first concern was I cried out to God. It was like an automatic prayer. I cried out for his protection because I felt the car was going to run me over. And uh, God stopped that from happening. Uh, You know, I received severe skin lacerations on my uh, hands, face, and uh, real bad knee injury. All the skin was gone and was swelling up fast and crazy-like. And as I got into the ambulance, or as they put me into the ambulance, I didn't hear God's voice, but I felt his voice. It was the voice of Jesus telling me, he says, be peaceful. I got this. I'm, I'm going to handle this thing. And it, it just brought great peace and comfort to me. Well, when I got down to the hospital, then they patched me up and sewed up some cuts and uh, gave me some uh, bad news from the x-rays that my uh, right patella or kneecap had fractured. It was a vertical fracture, and my wife was in the room. We saw it on, uh, that was kind of a computer screen that they transmit the x-rays from room to room in, and the orthopedic resident pointed out that exactly where this break was and told me that we're going to wait, you know, about five days, and then we'll get you the orthopedic surgeon and... Uh, He'll decide if you have to do surgery uh, to, you know, put it into back into place or not. So they immobilized the leg, and uh, I was kind of down on the whole deal because I'm, I'm pretty active, and it sounded like it was going to be a long healing process, very long. And uh, 
then then the prayers really got going. I had prayer from a lot of people at the church here. Uh, my men's Bible study fellowship group, a lot of friends, family. And when I got to the doctor, the surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, five days later, he bought up the same x-rays. He had also looked at them. They had sent them from the emergency room to him. And he just stood there looking at it. He kind of thumbed through them, and he said, well, the cap is no longer broken. And, uh, and, and I said, there's been a lot of prayer involved in this. And he, said, he mumbled something about, well, they prayed the x-ray okay, too. So he re-x-rayed it and uh, looked at it, and he said, hey, he said, it's not broken. So he took the uh, big splint off and, and manipulated it, flexed it and everything. He said, no, he said, you're going to be all right. He said, it's just a matter of getting the skin back on and getting the swelling down. And it was, I mean, I was ready to jump for joy. And I, 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 mean, I didn't have the splint, and I knew it was the Lord's hand in it. And... Uh, the Lord let it heal. The swelling took, you know, a long time to go down, better every day. And I just figured he was using that just so I could remember his hand in this and that he does listen and he is trustworthy. Thanks, Tom. That's an amazing story, is it not? But let's, let's look at this story. Let's dissect it a little bit. Because the healing is the result. It's great. We love that you're up and at it. We love that. But one of the things that Tom recognizes right before the car hit was it was an automatic, Lord, protect me. It's automatic. And I can tell you what, that may have not happened if I was in his circumstances. It could have been some four-letter words I shouldn't have said, this is going to hurt, right? But it's an example of someone that's consciously connected to who God is because it was second nature to him. It was a situation that was reaction. His reaction was the right one. And so we see that he's connected with them. And then he hears the Lord say to him, I got this, and he trusted him. And look, at not only did he heal the knee, but he healed the the x-rays. That's weird. I've never heard that. It's amazing. Now, we can see in Scripture, yes, Jesus, he is trustworthy. But the greatest example is how uh, he ministers in our lives, and we see it fleshed out. That's why we share testimonies. Because we experience what we see here. We experience in the flesh, and we know that we can, we, through faith, we trust him here, but then we see it. But what happens, though, when you're in a situation like Tom's and you cry out and you don't receive the healing? What happens? Doubt creeps in, does it not? You know, I'm a, most of you know, I'm a type 1 diabetic. And I've prayed for years and asked God in the name of Jesus for years that he would heal my diabetes. And I still have it. Many, many people have prayed over me, for me, for healing, and nothing has happened. Does that mean God is not trustworthy? I tell you, having it for over 10 years, I've wrestled with that question. I've thought about it. 
Lord, you tell me I can ask anything in your name, and it will be done. Anything in your name, it will be done. But he tells us also, but do not doubt. And doubt is a form of absent trust. And I realized I prayed in the name of Jesus. I asked all these things, but oftentimes it was more of a, I hope he will. But then I began to realize this. There were things in my life that I needed to work on. There were disciplines I did not have. That through this process, the Lord has helped develop in my life. And I'm forever grateful for that. I see the blessing of it. Now, I'm not saying that God did this to me. Things happen. But he doesn't leave anything to waste. And I learn every day how to trust him with this disease. Because there are times where it just you know, blanks in my mind and I don't have sugar with me and I have a sugar low and I'm in trouble. And believe me, I've been in some dicey situations. I have an insulin pump and I've had a breakdown when I'm out of the country or I'm out of state and I don't have supplies. But every time God provided, every time he's spoken to that situation, proving more and more and more that he's trustworthy. And then I realized, you know what? My prayer life needs to change. It really needs to change. It's got to come from a different place than just asking requests. It's got to come from a different place of just hoping he'll hear me, hoping he'll answer me, but trusting and having faith and believing that he will. And I've been learning um, every day now when I, when I meet the Lord in the morning, instead of Instead of just going, okay, Lord, I need this, help bless this, and just, those are all good things. But now I start with just praising him. Just simply ministering to his heart. Simply lifting him up. Glorifying him. And then I get to the questions, Lord, what do you want to say to me today, and how do you want me to respond? But I start with that first, because that gets me into a place of his presence, connecting with him and trusting him. And I'll tell you, it's really changed. It's changed my life in a lot of neat ways. Well, this is a busy week, right? This past week is really busy. You know, you're getting prepped for Fourth of July, and some of us go out of town and this and that. And we've had a lot going on here at Bridgewood. And I was struggling, and I'm being honest with you, I was struggling to find the sufficient amount of time to do the study I wanted to do for today. And so I felt the pressure because... It was like the weekend I had to really press in. Really, because I like to have it internalized by the time I get up here on a Sunday morning. And so, Saturdays are a great day for me because Shanna, Shanna gets to sleep in and I get to spend time with Gracie, my daughter of two years almost, um, to myself and just spoil her and take her out to breakfast and just have, you know, daddy-daughter time. And so, I'm feeding her breakfast and she's doing her thing, you know, making a mess, peanut butter in the hair, all this stuff. And I don't like dirt and mess. Shannon, I'll tell you this, I don't like it. But she's doing all that stuff, and she's saying all these weird words and babbling and all this stuff. And so uh, I thought this will be a great time to get some study in and, and, and finish up. So I thought, you know, I haven't really done this before. You know what? I'm going to use Gracie as a guinea pig. I'm going to kind of preach at her a little bit. Right? Because she's not going to judge me. She's not going to go, them, 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 them. Apple? That's her one where, like, that's her, like, apple, you know? And uh, so I thought, I'll do it. And I start talking about this. I start talking about trustworthy. And I'm only doing it for a few minutes. And I said, 
Lord, I want my prayer to you to be ministry to your heart. And as I say, she hears the word prayer and she goes like this. Right? (laughs) Okay? Melts me to the point I get teary. And this experience ranks up there in the top three of my life. It really does. And, and, he, and it's not just because of that moment. It's because of what happened afterwards. I see her do that, and she's not making eye contact. me. She's in it. She's like, yeah, Dad, preach it, right? Mm, uh, speaking in tongues, literally, right? Not with that apple, you know? Like good things are happening. And I get so choked up that the words I'm saying start actually having impact. And I said, oh, Lord, I thank you for my daughter. I worship you, and I'm getting tired. It's going to kill me. And I look up at Gracie, and she's like this. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, even my two-year-old daughter. And imagine, I just, I just think about how much she trusts her dad. You know, lack of judgment on her part. But she'll throw her stuff off furniture knowing I'm going to catch her. She's going to throw, because there's this trust that happens. And there's this abandonment that happens. And you saw it when she was like this. I'm like, Lord, that's how we have to live. We have to approach you with this trust. Because oftentimes he answers our prayers in ways we didn't think possible. It really presses our patience. But we have to stick in there. We've got to make sure that we do not leave him. Because he never, ever leaves us. He never, ever leaves us. He stayed there. He suffered for us. He did not fold, so we will not fold on him. We will stay there where he is. Because if we don't, we will not be a house of prayer. We will not be a discipleship culture because we've removed ourselves from him. Oftentimes, we don't stick around long enough to see how he's going to answer our prayers. We want it now. We want it this way. But I'll tell you what. In a million years, I never thought, one, I'd have diabetes. Two, I'd be living in Minnesota. And three, my first child would be a girl. As a long-time youth pastor, having a daughter scared me. Because I worked with teenage boys for 13 years. I never thought in my wildest dreams. And it's far greater than anything I can imagine. I've got to say it over and over and over until you're sick of it and you tell me to be quiet. We must trust him. Individually and as a congregation, we must trust his leading. We must trust what he says to us. We must trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And we must persevere. Because as we do that, our, our prayer life is going to expand and deepen and grow in ways we didn't think possible because we're connecting with him. Because we're trusting him. This is what we want. Right there. That's what we want. I want to be like my daughter. I don't want to throw dirt and eat dirt and all that stuff, but I want to do this. I want to throw myself into Jesus with reckless abandon and let him have his way. That's the beginning. That's the heart of prayer. That's the heart of all things. It's trusting and being where he is. Let's pray. Lord, I worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, you're so good. You are faithful. You are tender. You are merciful. Oh, we thank you, Lord.
Holy is your name, God. Holy is your name. You are worthy to be praised. We lift you on high. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you call us by name. We thank you that we have a value that cannot be diminished or taken from us because we are your children. We're your sons and daughters of great worth. Where you paid the ultimate price and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. So that we wouldn't have to taste death, but that we would have hope for life and life more abundantly. And for that, we praise you. I ask in this time as we continue in worship that we'd have one, we'd have fun doing it. We'd have fun being in your presence and the presence of one another. But Lord, that we would remember worship is about you. So I pray that we posture ourselves in this time to give what we have to you, to minister to your heart, to be where you are because you delight in being in our presence. So I I ask, Lord, that we would not try and see what we can get, but posture ourselves in a way, Lord, what do you want us to give? We want to minister to you. So, Lord, I just pray that um, as we take our offering this morning, that we would trust you with whatever you're calling us to give, financially, relationally, and time, that we would uh, abide in you in a beautiful way, that we say, all I have is yours, Lord, that we do not fear because we trust. We do not fear because we trust. So we ask that you bless the offering, that you would use it for the expansion of your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.